0: Amen. That's good stuff. <clears throat> Am I on? We're good to go? All right. So uh, before we start, I wanted to invite up uh, Dan Kreiss, Dan Noggle, and Pam and Zilla. All right. Where did Pam get to? Come on. <laughs> You guys can come up. Come up right here. Dan. This way, this way, right here, right here. <laughs> no one can see you. All right. All right, so uh, this is Pam Inzillo, Dan Christ, and Dan Noggle. Uh, these are three new members. Right. Yeah! yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, Tom Delormier and I had the privilege of uh, interviewing each of these three, hearing their testimony, uh, hearing how Christ has, has called them. And of their commitment to, to be with us as part of this church. And so today uh, is our chance to uh, hear their membership vows and, um, and welcome them officially into the body as, as official members. So, uh, I'm going to reach each of these and you're going to say, uh, I do. Sound good? Right. Do you acknowledge yourselves to be sinners in the sight of God, justly deserving his displeasure and without hope, save in his sovereign mercy? Do Do you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as the Son of God and Savior of sinners? And do you receive and rest upon him alone for salvation as he is offered in the gospel? (laughs) Eager about that one. Good, good. You should be eager about that one. Uh, Do you now resolve and promise in humble reliance upon the grace of the Holy Spirit that you will endeavor to live as becomes the followers of Christ? do. Do you promise to support the church? And its worship and work to the best of your ability. And finally, do you submit yourselves to the government and discipline of the church and promise to study its purity and peace? All right. Welcome these guys as new members to Fair Hill Church. And uh, please join me in prayer. Father, we, we thank you for your church. We thank you that you chose the church to be your bride and that to bestow your special grace and love upon her. And Father, as we come under that church, I ask that you would, uh, you would bless these three, that you would bless Pam and Dan and Dan. Father, would you work powerfully in their lives? Would you use them to further your kingdom? Would they be part of your, your body, the church, as they are intimately connected to Christ Himself. Father, we pray that that they would truly feel as members. And that we would be one body, one family, fellowshiping together for your glory. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you guys. <laughs> are you supposed to clap when they walk out? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right, so uh, as we said, uh membership uh, classes are coming up so uh, by the end of this month, so if you're interested in becoming a member, um, just just let me know uh, but otherwise, uh kids church is meeting right now, so if you want to head to the back uh, through these doors and to the to the warehouse on the left, uh, you guys are good to go right now, and we'll jump into our sermon righty, so uh lately, we have been talking about the crescendo to the empty tomb. The crescendo to the empty tomb. Basically, that all of Jesus' life, uh, it kind of starts quietly, and it is building momentum. It's building momentum. It's building speed. It's growing in volume towards his death and ultimately towards his resurrection. That the resurrection is the high note of Jesus' life here on earth. And our calling is to actually... Uh, build ourselves up into that. That that would be the climax of, of this season that we wouldn't let Easter just kind of pass us by, but also that our lives would be centered around our second, com- second life, our resurrection with Jesus Christ. That we would truly rejoice and see this resurrection of Jesus as kind of the key and the core of the Christian faith. That without that, the whole thing falls apart. And with it, we have amazing reasons for hope and for joy. And for uh, worship of God as the God of grace and of life. But today is, today is not Easter. Today is Palm Sunday. Right? Happy Palm Sunday. I don't know what, that, what the term is. Happy Palm Sunday. Happy triumphal entry. Um, but there's something kind of odd about this, this text where it is. So we're talking about how there's this climax towards the resurrection, towards the empty tomb, but a week before Jesus' death is his triumphal entry, where all the people kind of receive Jesus and see Jesus as king. And we wonder, like, why is there, right at the end of his life, right before what we the, the real climax, why is there this uh, this kind of blip, this exciting part where... Everyone receives Jesus and everyone seems really excited about it. Uh, What's actually going on here? Now, as we look at this text, I think we're going to see that the people were excited for a king, but they are excited for a king on their own terms. That they had a certain notion of, of what this Messiah, this king was going to do. And with that mindset, they were able to be really excited about him. But the problem was that they they were misunderstanding Jesus. And they were kind of getting hyped up about a Jesus that was in their, in their minds that they had created for themselves and not the true Jesus that had come. And so what happens is, as there's this building crescendo, they kind of jump in too early. They start rejoicing a, a week early as it is. Now we all know when we like when we're singing worship and we sing a little bit too early and how it's kind of awkward. That's what they're doing here. They're like, oh, accidentally jump into this, this triumph and realize that, that that wasn't the high note. And actually, because they put all of their joy and all of their hope in that triumphal entry, they actually miss the high note. They miss it altogether. They miss the true climax, the true glorious moment of the resurrection. And so today, we're going to look at that uh, that kind of misstep with the hope that we might understand just who our king is and that we might understand why the climax is found in the resurrection and not in this triumphal entry and how we cannot fall in the same trap of getting really excited about this earth and this world and this life and miss uh, the things that Jesus is really doing. So we're going to see three things. We're going to see that Jesus does boldly declare himself to be king. That is undeniable. But we're also going to see that the people kind of create a king in their own image that they, they think they need and as a result they're going to miss the true glory of Jesus' kingdom. Right? So he is a king they receive him on the wrong terms and so they actually miss the glory of this kingdom. So let's turn to Matthew 21 verses 1 through 11. Matthew 21 verses 1 through 11. All right, Uh, read with me. Now, when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethphage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, go into the village in front of you and immediately you'll find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, the Lord needs them and he will send them at once. And the crowd that went before him, they followed him, were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. Pray with me. Father... um, we ask that by the spirit we might understand your scriptures and that by that same spirit that we would know Christ better, that we may know the kind of king that he is, that we may be uh, faithful subjects, joyfully uh, worshiping and, and submitting to our king. Father, we ask that uh, you would convict us, but ultimately that you would give us great joy, joy to know a king of grace, and of life, and of love. We pray this in in Christ's name. Amen. All right, so, first off, when we jump into this story, we're going to see that, undeniably, Jesus presents himself as a king. Now, look back on on this passage. Uh, So, he's, he's, verse 2, saying to them, go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything, say the Lord needs them and you'll send them at once. This took place as the prophet had said, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you. Humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt the fowl of a beast of burden. All right, first notice that uh, this is Jesus' plan. There's a clear plan here. Um, Sometimes it's presented like the triumphal entry. It's like the people all rallied up and like, hoisted Jesus onto the horse and, and made him do all this stuff. No, that's not how it went down. This is Jesus' plan in motion. Jesus told them to get the, get the donkey. Jesus rode in. Jesus knew what he was doing. So he sits on a, a young donkey, a colt, and he rides up into Jerusalem through the city and straight to the temple. Now, what does that mean? I think too often we can act like we can overplay the, the humility of this act, and say, "Oh, well, Jesus is is riding on in on this like this little animal, and he's so humble and such a different kind of king." Uh, but I think that's overselling it, actually, because the thing is that there is symbolic meaning in what Jesus is doing here. We can miss it because uh, we're looking at it through our through our lens. Um, and we assume, well, this, this seems like a really humble, kind of uh, gentle way for Jesus to, to come in. It seems like the people are just rallying all together, uh, together with him. And I would say that, actually, this is, a, this is a symbolic action. That when David wanted his son Solomon to become the king, he tells Solomon to do just this. This is a ceremony of coronation for a king. That is historically what is happening here. This is actually a very bold move on Jesus' part. And the people would have understood it as that. Now, as an analogy, let's say, let's say there are two people. And, uh, and one person is kneeling and the other person has a sword. And they're, they're touching either side of the person's shoulder. What is that? They're being knighted. They're being knighted. All right. In 2,000 years, what if someone were looking at that ceremony and trying to interpret it? And they're saying, well, oh, like, maybe the king is, is threatening to behead this person. Or, or showing them that they are subject. When in reality, no, it's, it's that they're being honored. It's kind of an odd way of, of doing it, but that's how it's done. That's the ritual. In the same way, this is the ritual of a king coming into his kingship, being anointed as king. And so, we have to recognize that Jesus is, Jesus is putting it out there. That before this, he was kind of hinting at his kingship. He was, he was whispering it. He was implying it. But here he is outright saying that, that he is king. Jesus cannot be portrayed as just a, a nice guy that people misunderstood. He can't be construed as someone who... Uh, who didn't really want this authority in this role, but, but the people forced it upon him. No, he knew what he was doing. He was declaring himself to be a king. Later in the, in the story, we're going to see a bunch of soldiers beating him, mocking him as a king. Or we're going to see the, the Pharisees questioning, like, who gave you this authority to come in here as king? And we wonder, like, well, he never actually said that. When did he say that? He's saying that here. He's declaring himself to be the king of Israel. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. And so, we have to deal with that. We have to deal with the fact that that Jesus claims to be king. Now, he is either the worst king ever, who arrogantly claimed to be a king and a a week later was killed for it, just a, a foolish revolutionary, or he is a king, but a king that is very different than all the rest. A king who would know that he is in, in power and know that he is going to die. That is the person we're dealing with, with Jesus Christ. And so we need to figure out, what, where do you stand? Do you receive him as a king or do you not? And what implications does that have? Well, let's look at the crowds. The crowds, they, they understood what Jesus was doing here. And they were willing to receive him as king. They were willing to receive him. They've been waiting for this moment. That Jesus had been kind of, just kind of sowing the seeds. And they've been waiting for him to just, come on, like, let's do this. Let's do the king thing and let's, uh, let's create the new kingdom. And so he, uh, his disciples They're more than ready to do this. Verse 6. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks and he sat on them. Now what were they thinking when they did that? Maybe they were thinking, okay, Jesus has been talking about this kingdom. We've been wandering around in the wilderness and going from village to village. No place to lay our head. Maybe now is the time for the palaces. Now is the time for the kingdom to come and and now we're finally going to get our places of of authority. We we left family, we left children, we left our homes to follow this guy. It's time for, for us to see the kingdom. They were ready. They were looking, they were eager for this king to come. Or look at verse 8. This is the crowds. The crowds are just as eager to receive him. Most of the crowds spread their cloaks on the road. And others cut branches from the trees. And spread them on the road. So Jesus is coming in on this cult. And people are literally taking off. Their clothing. And throwing it on the ground before him. This is the, the red carpet. But a better red carpet. This is, this is people actually. Showing their allegiance to Jesus. They're like. Where should my coat be? Is it better underneath Jesus' donkey so that his donkey doesn't have to touch the ground or is it better on my back? And they're thinking, no, no, it deserves to be on the ground. And for those who maybe didn't have coats or, or wanted to do more, they, they cut the palm branches and they're not exactly waving them, they're throwing them on the ground. They're, they're making a... A glorious path for Jesus. Basically throwing in that this is, this is my king. This is our king. We're, we're in it with this guy. And we wonder, why? What were they looking for? Why did they accept this Jesus as their king? Well, we, we can interpret what they're saying. So verse 9. And the crowd, they went before him, uh, that went before him and that followed him, were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Now, where is this from? This is from actually Psalm 118. This is Psalm 118. And we see this word Hosanna. Now, what does Hosanna mean? Hosanna means uh, salvation. It technically means like, save us, please, God. But by the time that it, this came along, it's also a, a term of praise. They're praising him. Praise the Savior. Praise the Savior. The king is coming in the line of David. And we think, well, okay, yeah, that's, that's exactly what these people should be saying. That Jesus is Savior. And he is the king who is coming. He is the messianic king. They're, they're using the, the right texts, But the problem is that they're singing about salvation, but they don't actually understand the salvation that Jesus is bringing. That they hear salvation and they think, oh wait, right, okay, who do I need salvation from? Maybe they think of their, their political enemies. After all, their nation is occupied by Rome. They need salvation from the Roman Empire. Or maybe they think they need salvation from uh, the sexual immoral, the criminals, the tax collectors, kind of the, the social outcasts. They need a social salvation from the people who are against God. Or maybe they need a religious revolution that they need someone to come in and, and banish all of these idolaters and, and false worshipers. They want religious salvation. Or maybe there's the people who are just really weak and suffering and they want relief from the hard times, from their poverty, from their struggles. And the thing is that I think we can understand that people would think that this this sounds like salvation. And that that's an appropriate salvation. And like, yeah, that's, that's what we want. That's what we need. But the thing is that Jesus did not come primarily to do those things. And the people, when they hear that kind of salvation that they've created for themselves, they get really excited. And they're thinking, yeah, that's the Jesus that I want. I do need salvation. Give, give me salvation, Lord. And they're willing to take up Jesus as their new king. And so I'd ask us when we get excited about salvation, what are we looking for salvation from? Why are we excited about this King Jesus? Are we excited? Do we need salvation? And what are we actually looking to be saved from? What's the actual problem in your life? And what, what is the right answer? And, text, and then what is the, the answer that you feel in your heart? Like, what do you think you actually need? Is it to have a, a happier life or an easier time? Less financial struggles, less suffering. And maybe that's the Jesus that you, you're looking for. You're looking for the king that'll, that'll help you here and in this life right now. And I'd say that that, that's a skewed view of salvation. That Jesus had bigger plans for salvation when he spoke of it. And when we get salvation wrong, we tend to rejoice too soon. We tend to rejoice too soon. So we're talking about Psalm 118. Psalm 118. And Psalm 118, it has this, this part. That's saying, like, yeah, Jesus is coming, the king is coming, we're all going to be saved. But the thing is, before that, before you can sing that part, there's other parts of this song. There's the fact that this king is, is going to be virtually destroyed in battle and then raised up by God. But they, they haven't seen that. Uh, they also see that, that this king is also a stumbling block that people are going to see this king and, and fall because they cannot receive him. Now at this point, there's, there's no stumbling block. Everyone is way too eager. And that's where, this is the right psalm at the wrong time. They started singing the, the final climactic chorus right from the get-go. And the thing is, it's not time for that. There will be a time for that. But they're singing too early. They're getting joyous too soon. And they're actually celebrating too small of a salvation. A salvation that is not that exciting. Even if it came to pass. And if it had come to pass as they wanted. They would have been disappointed. It would have decayed. It would have ended. And they would have been left with, with this, this little blip of joy that would have gone out. And so we have to see that when we attach uh, all of our joy to these, these temporary salvations, we can get really excited about them. Get really excited about Jesus, but they're not actually the real crescendo. They're not actually the real climax. They're not the high note. And we get excited about the salvation in this life. It's going to fizzle out. And we're going to be disappointed. And we're actually not going to be able to rejoice and worship for the long haul. And it may even be that we we construe God as a liar. And say, well, God, you, you promised this salvation. You promised this great life. You promised this, this high note and, and it's fizzled out. I think when we feel like that, like, God would say to us, no, like, that, was, that was your salvation. That was your high note. I never came as that king. You, you made me into that king. And, and you made me that king so that you could be worshipped, so that you could be the king of the world you had all these things that you wanted and you found a king to fit that. But the thing is that Jesus isn't doing that that agenda. He's not here to to fulfill our our little projects, to make our lives uh, what we think they need to be. Now, thankfully, he's not into that because he has a better plan. He's doing something bigger and greater and more glorious we have to be careful in the Jesus that we create for ourselves, and see what what is Jesus' kingdom actually like. How and, and and what is he trying to do in this life? And that starts to come out as we look at what Jesus does after the triumphal entry. So we start to see what, what Jesus's actual priorities are. And and as we look at this, uh, what does Jesus do when he comes to power? Uh, all right, let's take, let's take one that the people were probably excited about. Uh, he gets a chance to speak about taxes. So, new king Jesus, like, what should we do about these Roman taxes? And I'm sure they had some expectations. And what does Jesus say? Render to Caesar what is Caesar's? He says, yeah, pay your taxes. And And they're all shocked. Like, what? But you're supposed to free us. What are you thinking? Instead, what is Jesus' top priority? Jesus goes to the temple and he makes sure that the worship of God is done right. He cleanses the temple so that the worship of the Lord is, is pure, is, is heartfelt. is not just this weird uh, monetary transaction between God and man. That seems to be his priority. Uh, And Jesus is is supposed to take on the enemies. Take on the enemies of Rome. But who does Jesus identify as the enemies? The Pharisees. These people who are ruining the worship of God. Who are making God out to be uh, this cold, uh, passionless, uh, dead kind of ritualistic God. God. And he takes them on because they're making it out to be that, that people are really good and, and God is not gracious. That God is just a, a rule-bound dictator and that's why we follow him. Jesus, Jesus saw them as the enemy, not Rome. And the people were pretty disappointed about it. The people were so disappointed that even the disciples, they come to Jesus and they're like, uh, you, you said you would bring the kingdom Like, when are you going to do that exactly? Like, what's the timeline? You said you'd like, you'd glorify Israel and you would, uh, you'd restore Jerusalem. When are you going to do that? And Jesus basically says, like, he pushes it off into the future. He says, yeah, I'm going to do that. But that's not my time. That's, That's not the time now. And that that's not the priority of this kingdom. The people, they, they wanted a different kind of salvation. <laughs> Save me from this sermon. It's so long. <laughs> anyway, all right, all right. Um, <laughs> focus. <laughs> All right, the people are disappointed. They wanted a certain savior. They wanted a king. And he he doesn't pan out. And that's where Jesus, Jesus is not establishing one more self-centered, people-centered, sin-addicted kingdom. That his kingdom, it's not going to be all about selfish people getting what they want. It's going to be about the worship of God. And when he has enemies... He's going to take down the real enemies. The real enemies. And what are the real enemies? I think primarily sin and death. Sin and death are the real enemies. That if we look at our lives, if we look at our lives, what made us miserable this week? We can say that like oh I didn't have enough money or like I didn't get what I wanted like it's it's your heart of sin. People sinning against you, you sinning against others. Every fight you got in with someone, it, there's sin behind it. Every moment you felt, you felt discontent and bitter, it wasn't really because you didn't have what you wanted, it was, it was sin. That that is what is destroying the world. That the world was great until sin came in. And, and that's when things started going down the drain. And as the most climactic embodiment of that, sin creates death. Sin kills everything that it comes in contact with. And that's where we have to recognize that Jesus could have made this really good kingdom, but in the end, it wouldn't have been his kingdom. It would have been death and sin's kingdom. They would have destroyed it in the end. And all of our lives, we could could have fantastic, wonderful lives, and they are filled with sin that destroys all those good things. Or even if we we manage to, to stay happy and have great lives, maybe stave off sin, uh, they're going to end in death. That sorrow has the final final say. That we're we're hoping for this this climactic build, and sin and death they they kill the party every time. They make it end in, in nothing uh, but weeping. And sorrow. And the thing is, Jesus Jesus was not going to have that in his kingdom. And he wasn't going to let his kingdom decay like every other kingdom. And so he came as a different kind of king. He would destroy sin and he would destroy death. And to do that he, he didn't look like a normal king. That instead of a crown of, of gold, he had a crown of thorns. That you were supposed to have a, a scarlet robe. And he had blood-stained skin. He was supposed to ascend to the throne. He ascended to the cross. That is Jesus coming as the king over sin and death. That he took on this mantle. That was his, his armor. That was his weapon. His weapon was the cross. And he brought down sin and death with him into the grave. He brought them down into the grave. And that's where we can, we can make it out that like, yeah, I'm on, I'm on Jesus' team and like Jesus just needs to fight for me. No, Jesus also needs to f- destroy the sin and death in all of our hearts that if Jesus is going to take on these enemies, he has to include us in the in the fold that we are the enemies in our hearts. And the only way to to destroy sin and death and not destroy all of his people was by the cross. So he did that. He killed death and he killed sin on the cross. That is our king. And then, the resurrection. When he was resurrected from the dead, that was his victory. That was his establishing this new kingdom where death and sin no longer reign. They don't reign externally. He is free from it. They don't reign in our hearts. He actually gives us non-dead, non-sinful hearts to live in this life. To be free from the effects of those things. To be part of this different kind of kingdom here and now. He took us on and and turned us from enemies to citizens in this kingdom. Now when we have that kind of king, we can see that the triumphal entry was not the exciting part. The resurrection is the exciting part. That Jesus Christ was victorious over the true enemies. That was the climax of his life. And for us, the climax of our lives are not this life. They're not this kingdom that is still ruled in part by sin and death. That our hope and our joy lies in the resurrection that comes at Jesus Christ's second return. That that is our climax. That's what we're building towards. And that's where we don't let our joys stay here and, and in this place. We're always building. We're always building hope. We're building up to that final day. And in that final day, we will join the crowd. But we won't be the crowd that's, that's shouting crucify him. Who were fickle and who, who lost hope in Jesus. No. Will be the great multitude. The great multitude, clothed in white, holding palm branches, celebrating our Lord Jesus that, that God truly did save. That He saved, that He defeated sin and death, and we are now alive. That His kingdom is a place of life and joy and peace. And that calls us to worship. That's, that's why Jesus did this. He did this so that he might drive us to worship. So we have to be free from our sins and free to worship this amazing king. Because when we understand why he is king and what he came to do, it was glorious. And it is the greatest kingdom and it is the greatest gift you could ever give. Let us worship this king Jesus for what he has done for us. Let's pray, Father. In your great wisdom and sovereignty and and grace, you took on sin and death on the cross. And Father, uh, we needed you to do it because we are sinful people. We are people who are who are dead in our transgressions and need the life that Jesus earned. We needed him to die for us and we needed his resurrection life to be given to us. Thank you that as citizens we worship the king who would die and raise for us. He is the rightful king. He deserves all worship. He deserves all praise. We praise you, Jesus. We love you. We rejoice in you. Help us to submit to you. Father, help us to to build towards that final resurrection. That our lives would be wrapped up in that, and not in this world. And Father, thank you that you will have victory over suffering and death and and all enemies and Father, we ask that we'd celebrate at the right time. And we ask that we would celebrate even now, looking to that future hope. We pray in Jesus Christ's precious name. Amen.